All right, everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am Brandon Griffiths, and I got a couple of movies I wanted to talk to you guys about this week, but uh, before I get into that, I kind of wanted to discuss some other things uh, leading up to that. With the culmination of the six-episode series Obi-Wan Kenobi, I've come to the conclusion that there are there are good and bad prequels. I mean, we can call Obi-Wan Kenobi a prequel series. It is um, it is supposed to take place in advance of the events of the original trilogy, and so um, that's what makes it a prequel series. Uh, as you know, the there is a prequel trilogy for Star Wars, Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, Episode 2, The Attack of the Clones, Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. And I know that there has been quite the cult following of these Star Wars prequels. They've really gained some notoriety in the world, and they've got a lot of memes following them, and all that stuff, and I, I still maintain that those movies are hot garbage, and I can barely stand to sit through them when I have to. I'll sometimes watch them over again just to keep their events fresh in my mind because they get referenced so much now. It's not even cool. I don't even... But anyway, so talking about prequels, I think my biggest concern when I hear that a prequel movie or TV series is coming out is I I'm worried that there's going to be you know a lack of suspense with that storyline I'm always afraid it's not going to I'm going to know too much you know for instance if I know that the character you've put in the series or movie is in the subsequent movie or TV series, they're, I know they're, if they're not, you know, I know that they're not going to die. I know that they're, they're going to be alive. So if there's a showdown where you have them coming face to face with death, it's not going to matter. It's not going to help anything in their, in their entire case for being a compelling storyline for the most part. But there are exceptions to that rule. Obi-Wan Kenobi did an excellent job of not having that happen. Even though, even though you know, I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that this is the case because Obi-Wan Kenobi is in Star Wars, you know, the original movie. And if you haven't seen that yet, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to spoil that. But, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi is in this show... And he manages to have these exciting missions, and the the suspense somehow isn't dead for me. There are multiple characters in the show that I know for a fact are not going to die, because they are definitely going to be in more of the story. But it, it's also, you know, they bring in enough new characters, they bring in enough new ideas, and they bridge the gaps, and... You know, I heard a lot of people complaining about Obi-Wan Kenobi not, uh, like, causing more problems than he solved with this show. I I don't know about all of that. I'm not as big on Star Wars. You know, I I heard that a final showdown in this show was taken from another Star Wars series episode, an animated one, I believe. And basically the same thing happens all together. And when I was told that, I I just basically said, I think I'm desensitized to doing stuff like that. It doesn't bother me as much because, you know, going back to, you know, Joe Chill killed Batman's parents, right? And in Batman 1989, they change it so that the... Joker is actually the guy that, when he was younger, killed Batman's parents, just to make it have that extra connective tissue to it. And it's it's good. I mean, it, it's 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 okay to do that from time to time. But I think, for instance, in the the case of the Batman 1989 thing, we could have done without it. 
we didn't need a retelling of a story through that lens. It could have just been a faceless man that, you know, but there are, there are also cool elements to that. But suffice it to say, I'm not bothered by reusing all of these types things because it is what it is. So another thing, first I I must mention, you know, well, there's always, there's always casting issues in these prequels. So another prequel that's not in the prequel trilogy that's still in Star Wars, because sorry, Star Wars has done a lot. There is a prequel called Solo that I might have mentioned before that is not a terribly good movie. And actually, the guy they cast to play Han Solo was not that bad. I think that the, again, like it is with the prequel trilogies, or prequel trilogy movies, it's it's bad writing. You know, it's, there were, there was still suspense in the prequel movies, but a lot of the problems of the prequel trilogy, you know, it, it was within the writing of the story because George Lucas is better when he is a big picture guy and he lets other people do the the tedious writing for him because that's what he did with the original trilogy. You know, like maybe the first movie he wrote himself, but he had very little involvement in Empire Strikes Back and he had, I think, yeah, Empire Strikes Back is the strongest movie in the original trilogy without question for me. And you can see the flaws of the first and the flaws of the third are very prevalent with his increased involvement. Um, and a lot of times you run into these, the casting is, is not great. It's not, and I mean, I hate to be that guy and I know what you're going to say. In this Obi-Wan show, which by the way, Obi-Wan Kenobi the show should have been called either Obi-Wan or Kenobi, not Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's too fucking much. Just everybody's going to know exactly what it's about if you name it either Obi-Wan or Kenobi. And it doesn't really take anything away from it, right? We we get into the we we get into Obi-Wan Kenobi and my biggest issue and I know that this is is a hard complaint to make because it's they're they're few and far between, but this little girl actress, you know, bless her heart, she was, she was kind of lacking. She was, I've seen much better child actors on screen, and she did not measure up, in my opinion. She she was just okay. She didn't really have any business. Be, like, I, I refuse to believe there wasn't somebody better, you know? And there's also, this is an obvious one. A concern of maintaining continuity between all of these movies and TV shows and things like that. You know, if you if you want to set something before the events of another film, you know, it happened a lot in the prequel trilogy where it was they, you know, they had like Qui Gon Jinn who is not never mentioned once in the original trilogy, but with the things that Obi Wan talks about in the original trilogy he would have merited being mentioned at the very least in that movie, right? So, I mean, you just, you have to be careful of that kind of stuff. And I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to dwell on prequels for too long because there's two, there's a lot to be said for prequels. So something else I've been seeing a lot about is they are making a Barbie movie, which is, I don't know, what is it going to be about? What? What for? I mean, it's got Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. I'm assuming it's going to be for children, right? I mean, it has to be. But the big concern is there is no... There's there's not going to be an appearance of the song Barbie Girl by Aqua. So it's like, what is the what is even the point of making this movie? You know what I mean? But I've seen the stills of Margot Robbie as Barbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken. And I mean, it. I, I'm looking at it like, who is this? You know, what is this? What's this going to be? What is it going to be about 
Barbie parading around and taking on different careers and doing different things like that? Is she going to have all sorts of accessories? What, but what is it going to accomplish, I guess, is the question. I don't know, but I, I just, I wanted to, to point that out so, so people know, you know, what I'm talking about. That was very brief on the Barbie thing, but uh, I also want to talk about, because most of the time when I record these episodes, I, I record them on the weekends, and I try and get as much, I, I try and get as many recorded as possible. I want to be relatively far ahead, because I don't want to be caught in a a predicament where I need to, to not be recording podcasts for a week or two, and then all of a sudden I don't have any podcasts in the pipeline, and there's just no podcast, and I lose all, you know, six followers that I have for my podcast. Every weekend, it seems as though I want to do everything. I, I want to do everything under the sun, do anything I can think of. You know, I mentioned in the first episode, going to the batting cages, disc golfing, basketball, going to baseball games, things like that. And uh, I just, you know, I really want to, I want to be able to get out and and do something, right? Uh, But at the same time, I'd very much like to do absolutely nothing whatsoever and not not accomplish anything and just sit at home, maybe watch movies, maybe play video games, play on my phone, no doubt, and be done with it. You know, I just let that be my weekend. You know, I I don't have a a ton of friends. I'm, I've generally always been a close group of friends type of guy, only one or two main friends that I hang out with. And then you know, I, I find myself sometimes wanting all the friends. I want people constantly texting me throughout the day, sending me shit, you know, seeing what's up, blah, blah, blah. But I, at the same time, I really don't want that. You know, I want, I, I want to have the few friends that I typically have, and that's, that's where I want to leave it. And that's, that's kind of how it is. I just, I, I, I want what, I, I want what I can't have, and I don't want what I do have. And it's it's very... it's. But I also do want what I do have. And I, you know, I, I am happy without having what I what I think I, I want. I mean, like I've mentioned, I've, I've been searching for someone to date. Um, I, I, you know, I want to I wanna find somebody that I'm excited to talk with different things about for days at a time. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I I don't, I don't see that happening anytime soon. So whatever. I I want to, I also, not only do I want to find somebody to, to talk to about, but I want to find someone or find, find nobody and not talk to anybody about anything. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm always looking for reasons not to do this stuff too. And it's, it's a, it's a difficult time. So I, I was talking I was talking to my friend Lance about, you know, as I frequently do, I was talking to him about, you know, there's a woman that lives near me. And as far as I knew, she was, her and her husband were living in the house together and they were married and they didn't have any kids. And I rarely saw them outside or anything, which I can relate to. It's not difficult. I I don't want to be seen outside either. But I think they, the two of them might have split up. And oh, I forgot to mention, she is unreasonably attractive. She's a really good looking person. And so every, every once in a while, I'll catch a glimpse of her outside. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And that's the thing. I mean, I was telling Lance that I was really bummed out because it seemed as though she had already, you know, she was already starting to have people over and stuff. And I was just, I was, I was beside myself with disappointment that, you know, I let her slip by me. And he basically told me, you know, you really can't be that pissed about it if you don't reach out or make the effort or whatever. And I was like, yeah, you know what? That's actually a very good point. And I I don't know if I'm going to get there to where I can actually do that. I don't know if I have that in me. 
in my life to where I can be confident and reach out and spark conversations and turn things into something out of nothing. I don't know. I'm, but it's, I, I, I get really bummed out about it and I know what I have to do to remedy it, but I, I'm also so afraid to, to branch out. It's, it's legitimately terrifying and I, and I can't stand it. I mean, it's, it's the same way with, I'll see, you know, people at work get these positions that I saw listed and I didn't apply for them and they end up getting them. And I, I think to myself, oh, I could have gotten that. And then it's like, you really can't be that upset about not getting a position that you didn't even fucking put in your resume for, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at. There's, there's a lot of there's a lot of disappointment with myself. I, I would say it, it's it's pretty consistent. I it's just the way I feel all the time. Uh, pretty pretty disappointed. Uh, I think it's time to get into our movies. My first movie is the movie Predator from June twelfth, nineteen eighty seven. Uh, it has a 107-minute runtime, so, you know, hour 45, not bad. I like that kind of length. That's that's a good, solid length, you know. If it's under two hours, it's it shouldn't be too rough to sit through. I found an excerpt from the wiki page for this this movie, and <laughs> the, story, the background of this story, I did not know this, it says, following the release of Rocky IV, a joke circulated in Hollywood that since Rocky Balboa had run out of earthly opponents, he would have to fight an alien if a fifth film were to be made. Screenwriters Jim and John Thomas took the inspiration from the joke and wrote a screenplay based on it. Which is, wow. I mean, the fact that this is a successful movie and that is the premise of the screenwriting that is ridiculous. So, this movie was directed by the one and only John McTiernan. Um, you might know him from such movies that he directed like Die Hard, Die Hard with a Vengeance, The Hunt for Red October, The Thomas Crown Affair, which I'm talking about the uh, Pierce Brosnan one, which is a very fucking good movie. I don't think I've ever seen the original And I don't know if I want to because every time I try and watch one of those original quote-unquote so much better movies, they're they're never as good. And the other one he made was Last Action Hero with with Schwarzenegger as well. So, I mean, Schwarzenegger is in this movie. In this movie, he is at basically the height of his power. He, He was... Everywhere, every everybody wanted him in their movie, and everybody wanted him to be on their poster and sell their movie because he, he even though he's he's got a lot of flaws, if I'm being honest, he he's he's so he's got such a gravitational pull about him, and I can't really describe it. So this is this is the so I'm yet again coming to you. And I'm going to try and do voices that I'm not very good at. And I just want to do them. But this is the movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger says, Get to the chopper! You know? And that's fucking great. I mean, I love that. I I love when he says, get to the chopper. And obviously, you know, some of my favorite movies of his would be the Terminator movies, True Lies, Commando, Twins. Twins is... I think underrated. I love Twins. I, I saw it for the first time not too long ago, maybe a year or two ago, and it was spectacular. I really enjoyed it, and I I, I enjoyed the comedic side of Arnold Schwarzenegger. The supporting cast, mostly just Carl Weathers, who you probably know as Apollo Creed from the Rocky movies, and he was Chubbs Peterson in Happy Gilmore, and he also played kind of an exaggerated, ridiculous version of himself on the show Arrested Development. Anyway, he was in that show. He was great in that show. Very great comedic timing for a guy who, who wasn't known as a comedic actor. 
And he was also in a little film called Action Jackson, which has actress slash singer Vanity in it. And um, yeah, I mean, Action Jackson was pretty terrible by regular movie standards, but by so bad it's good movie standards, it was pretty solid. I liked it. We also have one Jesse Ventura in this movie. He was in this... I don't know much about his other movies. I know he was in one movie that they covered on How Did This Get Made called Abraxas Guardian of the Universe, which was holy hot fucking shit. I mean, it was terrible. And see, like that. I say, I say something was hot shit, and usually hot shit means good, but also it's, I mean, hot shit is inherently bad. If, if you're, if your shit's coming out hot, chances are pretty good. You're not too excited about your digestive health. John claude Van Damme was going to be in this movie as the predator creature, okay? Because what it is, is, you know, an alien is dispatched to earth, blah, 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 at the very beginning of the movie, and, you know, he kills, or the alien, I don't, I don't know if you ever really get into gender with this predator, but, so this alien is jettisoned to earth, he kills a bunch of military men, or whatever, spies or something, you know, I, I can't even remember right now. So this predator has this weird look, and I'll, I'll get into that in a minute, but Jean-Claude Van Damme was originally going to play this creature, okay? And it was going to be like, hey, let's use Jean-Claude Van Damme's ninja skills to create a, you know, that that kind of feature of this character to where they have a hard time with the creature because he's constantly evading them or tricking them or moving faster than they can move or whatever you want to say. But apparently, they had issues with the fact that Jean-Claude Van Damme was too short. He's like, I think he's 5'7", maybe? And he and th these other guys, the, the three guys I mentioned, are all well over six feet. And Jean-Claude Van Damme also complained a lot about the suit being too hot. And I'll get into the suit a little bit more in a second. But... Kevin Peter Hall is the guy they ended up selecting to play uh, the the predator, and he's actually seven foot two, which is much better. It's a lot more imposing and intimidating. So as far as this, the whole idea is that you know the predator kills these guys, but they don't know that. They just think these guys have gotten killed in Central America, and so they assemble this team. And they want to go down and figure out what the fuck happened and do what they have to do. And apparently this was originally going to be because of the whole Rocky Balboa quote that I used. This was going to be a one man army to, you know, Rambo type thing, you know. And Arnold pitched the idea that it be this group of commandos and... And not just be him, even though, you know, by the end of the movie, it's pretty much just him. Uh, apparently, because, you know, Jesse Ventura was a wrestler, I believe, and he also became governor of, like, Minnesota at some point. Him and Carl Weathers and Arnold Schwarzenegger, who used to be a huge bodybuilder, uh, they all were working out. They would sneak up out of bed at 3, mo three in the morning. They would just work out and bulk up. There's there's a little story about that that I'll get to in a second. So the score of this movie was made by Alan Silvestri. He made Forrest Gump's score. So he made Forrest Gump's score, and he made the Back to the Future score. I think he I think he did all three of those movies, but I'm not positive. I didn't I didn't look into it that far. But this score, to me, it, it was okay. It, it's, it, it was another one of those, those kinds of scores that didn't hold up as a long time, you know, not feeling dated kind of thing. It, it feels super dated. 
most of this movie, as I mentioned, is set in the Central American rainforest. It, it's the predator uses the rainforest to blend in. So getting into the predator's look, right? We've got this. He's wearing this mask slash helmet, and he's got dreadlocks flowing out of the back of his, you know, the back of his head. You know, it's just it's like his hair. <laughs> I just find it funny. I noticed this and I had to mention something because I don't think it gets talked about enough. Pretty much all space creatures, it's very few exceptions are made, but almost all of them are upright walking bipedal humanoids, you know, humanoid looking things that would clearly have to share about 99% DNA with humans. And I, I, I joke about this because obviously it's always a human playing them in a suit and that's just the easiest thing they can do as opposed to inventing a new creature. Star Wars does a pretty good job of creating new creatures and not having them be just humanoid types, but there are still a lot of humanoid types. This this predator uses a lot of this camo uh, this invisible thing. There, it, it was pretty interesting. The style that they—I want to say it's like it's like a, that video game Halo when you could be invisible. I think I'm thinking of the right thing. Uh, you could be invisible, and you could see the person if you came up close. You could kind of see the light refracted through them, and you could tell that where they were. But they were they were still effectively invisible as far as being able to to tell where they were at a distance. I took something from the IMDB trivia about the the invisibility. So the invisibility cloaking effect was achieved with a bright red suit because it was the farthest opposite of the green of the jungle and the blue of the sky, the size which was the size of the predator. The red was removed with chroma key techniques leaving an empty area. The take was then repeated without the actors using 30% wider lenses on the camera. And when the two takes were combined optically, the jungle from the second take filled in the empty area. And because the second take was filmed with a wider lens, a vague outline of the alien could be seen with the background scenery bending around its shape. So this is this is what I mentioned a little bit later in my notes. It it kind of looks shitty, but they kind of do a good job. It, you know, it's for 1987. They did a pretty decent job of accomplishing this look and and getting the creature to to look invisible. So I mean, kudos to them. The creatures also got this. This green blood that is apparently made out of the liquid from inside glow sticks combined with KY jelly, which is always nice, you know. So the guy who did the voices is named Peter Cullen. I didn't look into him. I think he worked on like King Kong, uh, from the one from the 70s. And I mean, some of these noises he's making, they're, they're pretty cool, you know, I mean... I'm not going to lie, but there's a scene towards the end of the movie where the predator is making, is doing a laugh and it just sounds like a man laughing and it doesn't sound any, any different. So that's a little strange, but the, the costume, I'll, uh, I'll say it weighed over 200 pounds. So sucks to be inside of that in a fucking jungle. The predator also has this thing called a plasma caster and it can shoot you know it's it's mounted on its shoulder kind of like a parrot on a pirate's shoulder and it shoots phasma like lasers or whatever you want to call them uh or plasma not phasma so there's there's the whole at the beginning of the movie before they've realized that the creature is a creature they have they you do things through you you view it all through the POV of the predator and you know it's all that like infrared heat signature thing and it's just it's very interesting to see the suspense building you don't really know what they're 
you know, when they're going to realize that, if, are you know, is it going to get them before they can even find out that it's there? And it's it's pretty cool. So so my favorite part of any Arnold Schwarzenegger movie is his approximation of like you know he's talking like he knows Carl Weathers' character from the past. He's worked with them before, and he's like giving him a hard time about stuff. And it just I mean you know you've seen the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. I probably should have gotten an example for this. That's my bad, but. It's just, it doesn't, he doesn't do actual conversation justice or American conversation justice because it's, it's like he doesn't, he doesn't get it. You know, if, if you tell a joke and you don't even remotely understand the joke you're getting, your delivery is going to be piss poor. That's, that's very clear to me. So the, there's there's also a scene where Carl Weathers is getting attacked and this is, you know, spoiler country, so, you know, be aware. Carl Weathers is getting attacked by the predator and his arm falls off while he is shooting a machine gun. And the effects are hilarious. I mean, the way his arm falls off and the arm, it's like his hand is still pulling that trigger, man. It is still fucking there getting pulled. And it's like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, I mean, why would you, why would the gun keep firing? You can't keep tension on a trigger, especially, you know, if the the trigger is like, a couple of pounds at least for pressure. You can't fucking pull a trigger for that long without letting it go with with an arm that's detached from a human body. It, it, it was just hilarious. I mean, it, it's just you you can't help but laugh in that moment when he when he has that going on. And there's there's something they realize about the predator, you know, with the heat signature thing, they figure out that it can see heat and all that stuff. And they they start like Arnold puts mud all over himself to hide, and it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, on the on the outside, okay, if I take something that is very cold and put it all over my body, okay, you know, I mean that might hide you from being in somebody's heat signature vision, but. He's spreading mud all over himself and his eyes are open and everything, you know, I mean, how much of him is not covered by mud and how much of the rest? I mean, the problem is always, I can't remember what movie it was, but I remember someone using, you know, they were, they knew they were under infrared, um, vision and that was how people were seeing them. And so they went in. And turned on a cold shower and didn't even, and didn't stand in it or anything. Or if they did, they stood in it and it's like, your body is still, even if it cools down from that, it's still in the 90s. You know, you're not going to drop your body temperature low enough to match what is probably a 70 degree house, you know. So it's the same thing with this mud. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger does this. It doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. As I mentioned, the predator laughter is ridiculous. I, I don't. It was a bad choice. Uh, I've seen quite a few cosplays of this, um, this monster, this creature, whatever you want to call him. I saw one that was pretty cool. Somebody had dressed up in like one of those stretchy suits, and it was made to look like a heat signature. And it was like husband and wife, you know, a, a predator and the heat signature human or whatever, which was pretty awesome. Uh, let's see. This one, this movie spawned a lot of stuff. I mean, it spawned uh, a lot of spinoffs and sequels. Arnold Schwarzenegger never returned to this franchise. There was a Predator 2. There was Predators, which was uh, in the 2000s. Um, The Predator, which was, I, I actually thought that was supposed to be a remake, but apparently it was like a prequel or something. And then, um... 
you know, it spawned a crossover, a couple of movies with Alien vs. Predator and Alien vs. Predator Requiem. Which, I mean, by the way, say what you want. There's no fucking way that alien doesn't beat this Predator. I mean, that that alien can fucking spit acid, you know? I mean, I don't know. I, I Anyway, so it also, you know, it, it, it spawned novels. It spawned comic books and video games and toys and all sorts of other fun shit. Uh, there, was, there was a bet, this one little tidbit, one more before I move on to the other stuff. Jesse Ventura was told by, I think, Wardrobe that his arm was like an inch bigger than Arnold Schwarzenegger's. And he made a bet with Arnold that his arm was bigger and he lost because Arnold Schwarzenegger told them to tell Jesse Ventura that his arm was bigger. I I mean, just... Wow. I mean, see, that's the thing, though. Is this, Arnold is sharp enough in the English language to do that, but he's not... I don't know. It's But I love how how fired up these dudes on this set clearly were and, like, how, they, how competitive they were. So this movie had a budget of somewhere between 15 and 18 million. Uh, at a worldwide gross of 98.3 million. Uh, it is is surprisingly to me ranked 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 80% on the critics, 87% on the audience. And this movie, ladies and gentlemen, is on Hulu this very moment. I can't promise that by the time you listen to it, it will be still on there because it'll probably be the month of July when I release this and I'm recording it in the month of June. So my... So my sincerest apologies for for that, um, if, if it ends up coming to fruition. So the next movie I want to do, and it seems on the surface like the two movies I've selected today are completely unrelated and have nothing to do with each other at all. But the, the next movie I want to cover is called Unbreakable, which, uh, by the way, it contains tobacco depictions. It's a big disclaimer at the beginning of this movie. And I mean, I'm all for trigger warning. You never know who has PTSD. You never know, you know, what what issues somebody might have with certain topics or subject matter. But if you can't handle seeing someone fire up a cigarette in a movie, then I don't know if you're going to make it in this world. I mean... I know cigarette smoking has become very unpopular and is greatly increased or greatly decreasing every day, but it's, I mean, you still, is it going to hurt anything to look at it? Especially on a movie, you don't have to, you don't have to inhale it or anything. So Unbreakable came out on November 21st, 2000 is a 106 minute movie. So very similar to Predator, which is, it's not, that's not the, the thing that makes it similar, okay? M. Night Shyamalan directed this movie, and I'm sure you're aware he was the guy who made The Sixth Sense, and everybody thought, you know, this that movie is great. He's got to have a lot more in him, and I don't know that I would say he did. He, he got a record $5 million for this script, he also got paid $5 million to direct, which I don't have a real ballpark figure of what's a really, like, I don't know what Spielberg gets for directing a movie. I don't, I couldn't tell you. It, the, he shot the film in sequence, which is very rare. Usually you shoot by location, I think, anyway, as far as I know. It, he's, he's big on, you know, so The Sixth Sense, I won't, I won't give it away. I'll let you watch The Sixth Sense if you haven't gotten around to it. Sixth Sense has a very big plot twist in it, and it's it's like the only thing, you know, or I should say one of the few things people remember from the Sixth Sense, and but you always you'll remember it for the rest of your life, you know. Once you see the movie and you're like, <gasps> holy shit, you know. Some of the other movies that M Night Shyamalan made were uh, Signs, The Village, Lady in the Water. 
the happening, which I added a little note here that says, fuck the happening in particular. The last airbender, after Earth, and quite a few more. He made a movie, the, the most recent I had watched of his was called Old, and it's about these people that go to this beach and they start aging rapidly and it was fucking, I mean, it ended up being fucking stupid. I mean, it was a very intense movie and it was, it's just, it's always got to be this fucking twist with him. And now that it's like, you know, the twist is coming, it takes something away from it. You know, if he, if he came out with a movie today and he didn't twist anything because he clearly wants to be like a modern day Alfred Hitchcock type, I think. Alfred Hitchcock didn't do the twist thing. Not really. Like he had he had twist movies that that I guess you could yeah, you could say he had twists in them, but they're not they weren't all the movie had going for it basically, you know. I will say M Night Shyamalan's movies, they they all look fantastic. They're really well shot. He does a lot of cool things with the camera and the the feel of like the aesthetic of the the way he shoots the movies is very, very pleasing. It, it's It's got a nice warm feel to it. Um, he always makes a cameo. Actually, he, I would say he always just has a bit part in his own movies because to call them cameos, I think, is, is a bit... It's not really giving you the full scope of what's going on. There were two sequels to this movie that were kind of sequels, kind of not, in my opinion. Uh, one was called Split with James McAvoy, and one was called Glass with Samuel L. Jackson, who he's portraying, you know, he's playing the same guy he was in this movie. The score for this movie, uh, James Newton Howard did it, and actually, apparently Shyamalan storyboarded the whole movie for Howard, which Howard said hadn't been done for him before, which is a really cool thing to do. It's, you know, I mean, go through the whole movie and explain what's going to happen when and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I personally, you know, even though he's done a lot of other great movies, I don't know that I remember many of them for their scores. Uh, he he did Falling Down with Michael Douglas, which is a all-time favorite of mine. Uh, he did The Fugitive, another all-time favorite. Major League, great sports movie, great sports comedy. Pretty Woman, great chick flick. Space Jam, greatest film ever made. And Signs. And that's all I have to say about Signs. The the, the actual score for this movie, it, when all was said and done, I wasn't particularly impressed. I mean, Shyamalan really built this up like he wanted this special score and everything, and it was just not, not that great. I mean, it was just... It, it felt almost generic, which is too bad. So we got Bruce Willis, who is the the main character of this movie. You, you know, favorite movies of his for me would be Die Hard, Pulp Fiction, The Sixth Sense, Lucky Number Eleven, uh, Sin City, The Whole Nine Yards. You know, he's he's just he's Bruce Willis for me is an all time great. I mean, you can say what you want about his personality, Kevin Smith, but whatever. I mean, he's he's a great actor. He does a really good job, and you know. Definitely feel bad to hear that he, he he's had as many health issues as he has and he's had to step away from acting and focus on that. Samuel L. Jackson plays almost like the co-star, basically. You know, obviously Samuel L. Jackson's in fucking every movie ever. You know, I love him in Pulp Fiction, which, by the way, Bruce Willis was also in. Uh, you know, he played Nick Fury in all of those Marvel movies that he was in played Mace Windu in the prequel trilogy for Star Wars. He was in A Time to Kill, which I actually reviewed on brandonatrandom.wordpress.com if you want to check that out from a few weeks ago. And yeah, so not only is it a reunion of uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis from Pulp Fiction, it's a reunion of them from Die Hard with a Vengeance because they are both co-stars in that movie as well, and they have a great chemistry. And guess what? 
That movie was also directed by John McTiernan, who directed Predator. Yeah, that's right. Connective tissue, motherfucker. I, I just, I, I really, I think John McTiernan, he, he's got kind of a short list of great movies, but he's a, he was a great director. I, I don't know what he's been up to lately. Robin Wright as Robin Wright Penn. This was pre-divorce from Sean Penn. Um, she's She plays Bruce Willis's wife in this movie. Everybody knows her as Jenna from Forrest Gump. And, and she's very good in this. She's got much more bit role in the movie. So there's no spoilers for, for my plot synopsis here, but um, the original script that Shyamalan wrote was basically, I had never heard of this really, but it was the three-act superhero story, you know, where you have the birth of the superhero, you have a struggle against evildoers, and then you have an ultimate showdown with you know, the, the final arch nemesis or whatever. Shyamalan really liked that first act, the birth portion. So what he did was, you know, he originally wrote an entire movie with those three acts, and then he ended up expanding on the first act into an entire movie and then scrapped the, the final two acts and just made it what it is now. This movie starts off with a train crash and Bruce Willis is uninjured and blah, blah, blah. What I find amazing is he he calls his boss and he wants to know, hey, have I ever had a sick day in the last five years that I've worked for you? And his boss stops him the next time he sees him at work and says, you know, because he calls the boss and I think he leaves a message. And then when they run into each other, the boss is like, yeah, you're getting a $40 raise. Like, you think you're pretty smart doing, you know, pointing out that you've never had a sick day, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, if I told my boss, if, you know, if I didn't have the health issues I did, you know, years ago, I mean, I was one of those people that never called in sick ever. And and I would never dream to think that that would merit a $40 a week pay increase. Like, okay, thanks for, thanks for that, I guess. I don't know, but it, I just found it funny because he he call he makes the call and it's like he doesn't know that he's the kind of guy that you know he doesn't realize that he's never been sick in his life. Especially you know I, I would know in the last five years it's if I had been sick enough to merit you know missing work I think I would have remembered or at least it would have stood out to me that I hadn't had a problem. Then you've got, you know, Samuel L. Jackson. He's got this rare bone disease. We see his birth at the beginning of this movie. It's a pretty interesting idea. So per IMDb, the stadium that Bruce Willis's character David Dunn works in as a security guard is actually the Franklin Field at uh, the University of Pennsylvania, which is the oldest stadium in the country. And is the first to have an electronic scoreboard, an upper deck, and the first site of a live radio and television broadcast. Wow, that's exciting. At one point in this movie, Bruce Willis, he's... The way they have him dressed, and it's to conceal his identity, it's like he's dressed like the killer from the I Know What You Did Last Summer movies, and I... So, I don't know about that choice, but, you know, whatever. So, another moment that I noticed, because Samuel L. Jackson is kind of, he's piecing the story together, and he's kind of forcing Bruce Willis to think about, you know, if he's if he's some kind of superhero or something. And he has, uh, he leaves this voicemail, about what he thinks Bruce Willis's kryptonite is. And this this voicemail plays for an exceedingly long period of time on the answering machine. And I don't know much about sound qualities or what you would say, you know, are super good. But it was like the equivalent of like 4K UHD sound quality on this fucking answering machine. And I'm like, there's no fucking way... That he sounded this crystal clear 
when he was talking on this answering machine. He just didn't. There's no fucking way. I, I noticed that there's also a big thing, at least in a few movies, where M. Night Shyamalan... Yeah, wow, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, holy shit. He really gravitates toward water and weakness and, you know, all sorts of weird stuff. I don't know what the backstory is behind that, but it's... But, I mean, there are a lot of cool shots in this movie. I, I don't want to digress and talk too bad about it because I did enjoy the movie on, on this rewatch. There, there are so many cool things going on with it. I just, I love it. Uh, this one had a budget of $75 million, a worldwide gross of $248.1 million. It made an additional $123.11 million from DVD sales. Uh, it earned a 7.3 on IMDb, which is actually higher than I would have expected. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it had 70% from the critics, 77% from the audience, and it is available on Amazon Prime Video right now with a subscription. So, if, I would say, I don't know which one, I, I would say if you're in for a mindless action movie with a little bit of science fiction, absolutely watch Predator. The first one is solid. I haven't seen any of the other related Predator movies, and I don't intend to anytime soon. I would say watch, watch Predator. And then, you know, if you want just kind of an interesting story that's not not much... Like, I mean, what I, what I will say for M. Night Shyamalan for sure is most all of his movies, even though some of his movies I think were derived from other works... I would say for the most part, his movies are stories and they have they have elements that I've never seen or heard of before. And it's just amazing. I mean, they're, they he does a really good job at least coming to the table with something new and not just making it what he wants it to be and, you know, being derivative of something else. So, yeah, I mean, I would say check both of these movies out. But depending on your mood, I would say... For a little more uh, dramatic, you know, calm movie, I would I would watch Unbreakable. But for you know, for the action, I would say Predator. Both of them, I gave a four out of five stars, and they're, I mean, they're really solid. I mean, they're I really enjoy them. Yeah, so that's that's all I got for the week. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope. Uh, I hope I talked about some stuff that you found interesting and it made you want to see these movies if you hadn't already seen them. So, yeah, I, I guess uh, feel free to let me know what you think, good or bad. I'm not, uh, I'm not picky. All right, everyone, have a good week. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr. 